High school students who fail a class required for graduation have traditionally had two not-so-appealing options. They could repeat the course the next year or do so over summer vacation. In recent years, however, technology has created a third way. Students in many systems can now enroll in computer-based versions of whatever classes they failed. In theory, these online credit recovery classes give at-risk students the chance to learn at their own pace and a viable path to a diploma. But we're quickly learning that they're also vulnerable to abuse by schools under pressure to raise high school graduation rates. I'm Marty West, editor of Education Next, and my guest today is David Lowenberg, a freelance education journalist and author of the new article, A Digital Path to a Diploma, that examines the promise and pitfalls of online credit recovery. That article will appear in the fall 2019 issue of the journal and is available now at educationnext.org. David, welcome to the EdNext podcast. Thank you, glad to be here. So when and why did online credit recovery emerge in American education? Right, so it's important to first understand that credit recovery is not new. The concept that you can fail a course and then have an option to, to retake it in some form, uh, that has been around for quite a while. Online credit recovery, though, is relatively new, and we've seen it proliferate in the past uh, five to ten years uh, or so. And the two main reasons for that is, uh, number one, with the uh, advent of the No Child Left Behind Act uh, and similar accountability policies, high schools were under uh, much greater pressures to to increase graduation rates, uh, among other data-based outcomes. And so, uh, and the other trend is that we've just seen uh, in the past 10 years more and more of a push to bring technology and digital learning into the classroom. And so these, and there's a number of, uh, that has been subsidized by the federal government. There's a number of reasons why that's really taken off, uh, partly just technological advances, but also some policy uh, reasons. And so um, in the past 10 years, we've really seen the traditional model of credit recovery, which was you retake a class in some form, uh, be replaced mostly now with uh, online credit recovery. And by that, I mean, let's say you fail Algebra 2, well, then you can en enroll in an online or computer-based version of the course, go through a series of modules, uh, and then receive credit for that course if you pass. And we can talk a little bit about that. That looks very different uh, from school to school and from district to district, but that is the uh, basic idea. And how widespread is the use of online credit recovery classes? What are the latest statistics? Yeah, so the first thing I guess I learned when I uh, started reporting on this piece was that there's a lot more we don't know about online credit recovery than we do know it. So we have some idea of how pre pre uh, prevalent this is, and, and that we don't have very specific numbers. But the, the numbers that we do have um, indicate that it's very widespread, about 89%, according to one survey, uh, high schools reported offering, on, offering credit recovery, and a large percentage of that was online. Uh, we don't know a whole lot, but, but what we do know uh, seems to indicate that it's, it's pretty widespread. And, and just quickly, one recent study on online learning and credit recovery of the Milwaukee Public Schools revealed that 
nearly 40% of graduating seniors uh, had had per, had participated in an online class, uh, and most of that was for credit recovery. So that is a very significant amount of students. This isn't something that we're just talking about a few students here or there or a few districts uh, here or there. This has become really a key element of many districts' strategies to increase graduation rates. Yeah, I think you report in the article that 15% of all high school students nationwide take at least one credit recovery class. Uh, not all of that is necessarily online, though, but it looks like that's easily the most common format that schools are using currently. And consistent with your observation about Milwaukee, it looks to me from some of the data you report that the use of online credit recovery is highest in districts that are serving more disadvantaged students. Is that is that the case? Yes, that is the case. And some of that uh, research has emerged just recently. And, and this is one thing that, again, we until recently didn't really know uh, who or what students or what schools were were using these this strategy most. Uh, we are starting to get and we, we have started to gather information uh, and by we, I mean people who are much smarter than me um, studying this, uh, that indicates that, yes, typically schools that have higher proportions of uh, low-income students uh, are uh, have more prevalent participation rates in, in online credit recovery. And, of course, those are the schools that are facing the greatest pressure to raise graduation rates to consistent with what you said maybe driving the phenomenon more broadly. And what do we know about the quality of the courses students are taking and whether they're learning anything as a result? Right, so uh, that is the big kind of question that I tried to get at in, in talking to a number of people who have, have looked at this issue. Um, unfortunately, again, the, the answer is we don't know a lot, but what we do know is that uh, based on early research and also on media reports from uh, several different places, that the rigor and quality is often uh, not what we would probably want it to be. Uh, the, the early research and media reports suggest that uh, students are often uh, – find very easy ways to basically game the system. In other words, uh, Googling answers uh, and uh, not really being engaged with the course material. Uh, there's, in the Milwaukee study, they did some uh, uh, quite a bit of observational uh, uh, recording and, and, and found that uh, a general lack of student engagement and, again, um, not kind of a rigorous uh, set of coursework that one might expect if you're taking a, uh, say, algebra two. And so, um, again, what we do know suggests that there is not always, and it's hard to generalize because it looks different in different places, but oftentimes it's very easy for students to simply look, click through an online module uh, without properly demonstrating mastery. Now, your article starts and ends with an investigation of credit recovery in Newburgh, New York, a school district about an hour north of New York City 
that had seen its graduation rate climb to 78% in 2018 from 66% just five years earlier. What happened there? And do you think it is telling us to what's happening more broadly? Yeah, so this is a really interesting example of Newburgh is a, a relatively, well, it's about 12,000 students, mostly students of color, mostly low income. Uh, and it is somewhat of a microcosm of what's happening more broadly. So it had long struggled to raise graduation rates, but in the past five years, uh, the graduation rates, as you, as you mentioned, improved pretty significantly. And, and a key part of that was the district's use of online credit recovery. Uh, this, the, the, this kind of success story came to a dramatic end this spring, you might say, when a district attorney's investigation uncovered widespread misuse or abuse of the credit recovery program for the purpose of raising graduation rates. And so the, this is, in this uh, long report, they detailed a number of ways that it was misused. So it was teachers overriding grades, um, students uh, getting credit for a course that they that they were only enrolled in for in one case 18 minutes, um, students uh, getting unlimited attempts to take quizzes and tests, basically taking it over and over and over the same test until you pass. Um, and just to read very quickly from because I have it in front of me, the, the one part of this report from the district attorney's office it says that. The testimony revealed blind, blind administration of a program that ultimately served as a disservice to the students most in need of it, but nonetheless uh, served the district interest in increased graduation rates. And so this uh, would be an interesting story, although maybe not that interesting to a broader audience, if this was kind of a, a, a one-off example, but it actually fits a pattern, which we've we've alluded to that suggest uh, that these credit recovery programs, when not properly implemented and not properly overseen, uh, are really ripe for misuse. And to the extent that that is a pattern, I guess it starts to raise questions about what is often presented as the nation's major accomplishment with respect to K-12 education in the past decade, which is boosting high school graduation rates to all-time levels. I think concerns have already been raised that that increase in graduation rates hasn't clearly been matched by an increase in what students know and are able to do as measured by assessments like the National Assessment of Educational Progress. But this suggests even something you know, more sinister going on. Right. I mean, it's difficult to... Uh, make sweeping generalizations about or, or to say to what extent online credit recovery has helped improve the graduation rates. Uh, it, you know, that we, we, we don't have that kind of information. And, you know, you might be able to look at that for a particular district. But I will say that, yes, um, along with concerns about grade inflation and, and, and other issues that of, you know, quote unquote, lowering the bar to graduation, this kind of fits, fits into the, those concerns. Um, it, again, some districts are, are most likely implementing this in a way that, that is engaging students and, and, and is rigorous and high quality. But 
as we've seen in, in this Newburgh district and in, in many other districts, uh, sometimes, and it makes sense given the policy incentives, the goal of increasing graduation, this is seen as, this has emerged as a kind of cheap technical fix uh, or cheap technical solution to gradu- improving graduation rates. And so, yes, it, it's, it's, there is, I think, and, and among the people I've spoke to about this, a general sense of, all right, let's take a closer look uh, at, at what is really going on with these programs and if students are really learning. And what about the providers of these courses? As I understand it, these are private companies. Um, what do they have to say about how their products are being used and in some cases it seems misused by schools and districts? Uh, yeah, so they're, they're private companies and so you know, they're quick to take credit when there's a success story and quick to deflect when there, when uh, something like the Milwaukee study came out, which uh, certainly wasn't good news for online credit recovery. And, and, and their response to that is basically, look, these programs, this software is a tool, tools just like textbooks, which is the analogy they, they use, can be used well and they can be used not so well. Uh, but we are simply providing the tool. So, you know, I'll let readers decide if they find that convincing. I mean, ultimately, it's up to districts and schools to select products that are, are helping their students. But, uh, but yeah, the, you know, the, the private vendors, uh, that's kind of their, their defense when the, the outcomes aren't, aren't so great. So what's the solution to the problem of misuse of online credit recovery? One of the experts you interviewed in the article said, look, the horse is out of the barn, uh, suggesting, I think, that it's unlikely that online coursework is going to go away from American high schools. So what should we be doing and at what level to try and clean up the situation? So in order to find a solution to the problem, I think first we need to have a better better understanding of what uh, these programs look like. As I mentioned, who's taking them, what the student experience is. Beyond that, as you mentioned, it's unlikely to go away uh, just because it's become pretty prevalent among U.S. high schools. But some states have started, uh, well, three states in particular, have started requiring students to take an objective external exam in order to earn or recover credit. In other words, rather than just earning credit after going through a series of module, online modules and online quizzes, the students would then have to take uh, an external or objective exam in order to recover credit. So that could look like an end-of-course exam or something like that, but that's basically a quality control or a safeguard to ensure that students are actually mastering the, the, the content. So that three states have done that. Um, but I, I think, uh, you know, we need better oversight of, of these programs to, to really understand and give districts and schools the tools that they need to properly vet the, these private providers and then, and then implement uh, the programs. And the, the not very satisfying answer, but the, the one that is still true for this, is that we need more research, and uh, there is some work going on to better understand what what quality actually looks like, because that's still kind of an open question. Like, what is a high-quality online learning course 
look like. We're still, in the grand scheme of things, this is all still relatively new. And, and in some ways, the information is playing catch-up to the, the fact that it is already widely implemented. My guest today has been David Lowenberg, author of A Digital Path to a Diploma, available now at educationnext.org. David, thanks for the article and thanks for being part of the podcast. Thanks, Marty. It's a pleasure. You've been listening to the Ednext podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you use so that you don't miss an episode. And especially if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It helps us find more listeners and more listeners to find us.